Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This podcast is produced on Anchor, where you can record, edit, and publish all from your smartphone. You can find the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other major podcast platforms. Stepping to the batter's box. And the next question, we'll start with Jerry, is from Cole Bogey. What do you believe is the main ingredient in build, building a successful baseball program? Well, I think there's four things that I think that come to mind, and I just thought a little bit about this today, actually. Uh, first of all, build a positive culture. You know, uh, I think that's very important. Live your love for the sport you're coaching and develop a rapport with your team. You know, so I think those things are very important. So if you display, you know, your love for the game by doing all the little extra things and making extra uh, effort, you know, to get to know players and everything real well, I think that's very important. Uh, teaching fundamentals and discipline. Those are two things that, you know, whatever success, you know, had, you know, and stuff. I think those two areas have been very important, uh, you know, teaching the fundamentals and telling your players, you know, what discipline, you know, we had kind of a definition of discipline that I got from somebody, do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it to the best of your ability and every time. And that's, we would kind of, you know, stress that to the kids too. And then the other thing I think would be developing personal relationships. I think the closer you can get to kids, the harder they're going to play for you, the more they're going to respect you. So those four areas to me have been very important. Coach Core, what were the main ingredients in building a successful program? I go along with Jerry, but I would say teaching fundamentals, teaching fundamentals, teaching fundamentals. And That's, teaching fundamentals. We simply because we don't lose ball games, other teams beat us. We never beat ourselves. And people are gonna beat you occasionally, no question. But you play the game well. And to build confidence, I think another important part is to build a good rapport with your parents uh, and the administration and the players, of course, a mutual respect for each other and getting the players to buy into your philosophy because all coaches have a little different philosophy at times about different things in the game, how we're going to approach it. And uh, they need to buy into what you're doing. And I think over the years I had a lot of success that they bought into it. And I, I had the philosophy, like, if a kid's being successful, don't try to change him just because he doesn't look good necessarily. But if he's getting the job done, leave him alone. When he's having problems, he's going to come to you and start asking questions. How can I get better, Coach? How can I get out of this slump? And that's when they want to learn and when they're going to get, get better, too. But it, there's a lot of things that uh, once in a while a kid – would maybe start to get a little too big for his trousers, and you might have to give him a little kick in the butt. But you always finish it up with a slap on the back. You're all right, buddy, but let's just make a slight change here. Just things like that. That the, you're a real team. You're all working together. Coach Fan, ingredients to a successful program. 
always thought uh, building it from the younger kids on up. Uh, uh, you, know, you get you get the, the younger youth programs going, where you get uh, some good parent coaches or whatever at, at you know seven, eight, six, seven, eight years old. I always thought coaching at a, a town like Dyersville or Cascade would be ideal because you could get your little league programs and everything kind of going and and you knew those kids were coming to your high school and you could just teach them like everybody says the fundamentals and and uh, get some good coaching and and uh you know if you, you saw three years from now that you were going to need a catcher uh you could be looking down in seventh or eighth grade and see a kid that looks like maybe he's promising as a catcher and start grooming him to be your next varsity catcher so i always thought the feeder program was important um and then just to echo what you said that, that learning the fundamentals some kids yeah you know, i know sometimes we get kids at wallert and and they didn't know the proper mechanics of, of throwing a baseball you'd see them come out there and they'd, they'd throw the ball and you'd go oh my god you know uh, diff- different things like that so i just thought just building a good feeder program um for your for your uh, varsity program would, would be the way to to get a good program going, and then every year you've got players coming, and you're going to have years when you're going to be down a little bit and stuff like that. But uh, you know, by and large, you got kids coming in that are going to know the system, know how to do things, execute things, and, and I thought that's the way to build the program. Next question is from David Rock, and we'll start with you, Coach Core. What are some drills that you did that you think would be valuable to kids today? I, for uh, first and third was a situation that I worked a lot on during the years, and we spent a lot of time on it. Uh, it wasn't necessarily that people would run on us on first and third. Like in the old days, it was kind of like softball. If you get men on first and third, the runner automatically takes second. Nobody will throw through. They don't want them to score a run. We threw through all the time, but probably 95% of the time, we just said, which one do you want to be out? We practice it a lot. And the kids got confidence. They, they could make the throws, accurate throws, make good decisions if that runner was moving or whatever. And I think it worked for a lot of things in our system just because kids got a lot of confidence in their skills and what they can do. But I mean, last many years of coaching, very few people tried to steal us first and third. So we still worked on it because it really helped the program. Uh, another thing we used to use a lot of was what I call crossfire. We would get two coaches or outfielders. There's the outfielder's chance to help the infielders get a bat and a ball. We hit fungos. One hit to the third baseman, one hit to the shortstop, and we had two on the other baseline hitting to second and to first. And they got a lot of ground balls quick they weren't always the greatest ground balls some of the guys that the coaches course good ones but the it's outfielders and uh, but you're going to get some balls that aren't necessarily the greatest either sometimes but i think they got a lot of ground balls and worked on a lot of their skills there we worked a lot on situations where we would put a defensive team out there and the assistant coach would work with base runners i would stand at the plate and hit balls and have situations planned what i wanted to come up with uh whether it was for somebody to throw to a lead runner, for outfielders to be calling balls, for infielders just to make routine throws, but for runners action room. And uh, I think it gave, again, players a lot of confidence, and we went through a lot of situations. Because I was always a believer in some kid would come in and made a mistake, and I'll say, you should have known that. No, 
you never should say that to a kid. If you haven't practiced it, you practice it now then. It happened, let's talk about it. You should have known it to me was was uh, slang, something you should not use, a bad word. Uh, we worked a lot on base running and steals because it's, again, one of those things you assume kids can do, but do they really know how to get a good jump? And, and your pitchers are getting a chance to work on picking them off at the same time. A lot of individual kind of things, yeah, they were team things. Uh, as far as batting was concerned, we used a lot of pitching machines, somebody mentioned early, which I was told we had one of the, I think probably the first pitching machine in town. Uh, we used it a lot. Some of the kids didn't really like it, but they also got 50 swings in that were quality pitches to hit. And I, I really thought that was an important thing. And teams had come to town down to play us and we'd be in the batting cage with the pitching machine going and the coaches say before a ball came we're using that thing of course we are we're trying to get a speed done i could get the thing to throw a ball 100 miles an hour if i wanted to and pretty accurately and they all they aren't all grew because the balls were different they come out a little different and we can set up curve balls and tell you yeah a curve ball's coming but i want you to watch the spin on the ball and learn what when you see that spin what's happening and, uh, again, that was one of my philosophies. I loved it. I think kids learned a lot from it. And not all of them really appreciated it, but I think they got a lot more out of it than they really know. And now I see none. Nobody uses it. Everybody's in those short cage throwing, and I don't think they get the timing down. I, it's, it's different, personally. But we did a lot of that. And kids, we also had a wiffle ball machine so they could work on quickness with their bat, see how close you could get to the thing. And it could throw some curveballs. Uh, we had like we had a five ring circus going during my practice. We had have a big pepper station where kids were out there. You can say, "Oh, pepper!" They don't do that anymore. But I thought it was important because the kids out there throwing had to have accurate throws. The hitters had to hit the ball, try and control their bats to hit to everybody. We had a game going, mm-hmm. usually rotating back and forth depending on who hit to who, and they didn't get it done or hit one over their heads or something. Uh, we had a lot of things going, and I, I just think that is important to keep people busy. I hate seeing kids stand around and uh, stand in the outfield all day and maybe not even do anything hardly. And uh, we worked on position drills a lot, where at first base you actually took him out there and worked on his footwork and situations when he should stretch, when he should not stretch, when he should leave the base to go hit a ball, because those things don't always happen. You get a chance to try them. Second baseman working on his throws second, how close he should be to the base to beat a double play. How far away can I get and still get to that base and make the double play? Just a lot of them position things. Um, and I can go on forever. I have a whole sheet of stuff I went through. I checked stuff off. A lot of coaches had called me over the years. I gave a speech at the clinic one year about uh, drills, and they wanted a sheet. Uh, I, I just think... There's so many things you can do. Like Ed said, he enjoyed practice. I love practice because there's so many things we could do. And uh, said enough. Thank you. Coach Fan, how about you? <laughs> Drills that you did that you feel that would be valuable to kids today? Ditto. <laughs> Thank Ro- you, Ed. I appreciate no. that. Coach Rowling? <laughs> no. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dick, Ed. Yeah. Dick had everything – that uh, I was going to talk about. Um, one thing I did over the years is I built up a checklist of fundamentals, and I would look at that 
before practice and I'd say, hey, you know, did we work on first third situation or did we work on, uh, you know, something? The biggest drill that I liked, and Dick already mentioned of it, was uh, situations where you put nine people out there on defense and you get the other kids, put a helmet on them and get them running the bases. You could work on base running. You could work on anything. You could set up anything you wanted to work on, you know, first, third situations. I, I love that because you kept pretty much the whole team involved and you're you're learning everything that you could possibly come up with or try to come up with in a ball game. Uh, the biggest thing to me that I can tell coaches is try to keep the kids busy. We, we did a lot of station work. I mean, as far as drills, you can go on YouTube and find millions and millions of drills these days. But if the situation warrants it, and you've got the facilities and maybe a couple extra coaches, uh, keep the kids busy because the thing I used to hate watching was you'd have maybe a coach or somebody on mound pitching, you'd have a kid hitting, and everybody else was spread out in the outfield standing around, you know, talking about their night adventures last night or whatever, and uh, I, I hated that. So, I, I, you know, we'd have a couple kids shagging, and then we'd have kids in doing station drills and, and stuff like that. But everything that Dick said there is, is exactly how I feel about it. But try to keep the kids busy and not, not a lot of standing around. Um, pitching machines, again, same thing. I see nobody uses them anymore, but I thought they were great for curveballs because you can't see many good curveballs in practice usually, you know, unless you're facing your own pitchers. And sometimes I didn't like that because if – our kids were hitting our best pitchers pretty well. I thought, hmm, maybe these kids ain't our best pitchers. But then if our pitchers were striking out all our hitters, I'm thinking, man, maybe we're not a very good hitting team. So off a machine, at least, there was there was no complaints there. But, uh, yeah, just keep the kids busy. And, and, again, that depends upon how many guys you got helping you and, and your facilities and stuff like that. But, yeah, everything, like I said, that, that Dick covered is what we used to do, too. Coach Rowling, did they leave anything for you to cover on individual <laughs> drills, or did they Not get really. it all? Uh, just the the practice organization is so important, you know, and stuff. Uh, I think the teaching starts from when we're stretching and and everything. You know, coaches need to be involved. They don't need to be sitting dugouts, you know, while kids are warming up. There's always something that can be talked to them or talked to about or whatever, and. Yeah, I think all three of us were big on situations, you know, offensive and defensive, to make sure everybody's doing something. My thing is everybody should be doing something on every single play when you're on defense. You're never a spectator, you're a player, you know, and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much said all. I just totally agree with what they've said. And I know coaching with Coach Rowling and playing for Coach Core, I've shared this in a couple episodes that – Watching a coach rolling practice and being in a coach core practice, there were things that I would see you guys practice at Wallard and things that we did when I played at Hempstead that you might never see in a baseball game in five years of playing. But if it we did see it, we were always ready and we were always prepared for it. Coach Fan, you were chomping at the bit to get in there. Anything to add? Oh, um, when you do set up these stations, one thing I would suggest is try to have a coach or a parent or somebody kind of watching these stations because what can happen is, say you're hitting off a tee or, or uh, something, kids will start kind of jacking around and, and start picking up some bad habits. So you got to kind of keep an eye. You can't just let them go and say, go over there and hit off the tee for five minutes, you know, because 
sometimes they'll start getting more bad habits than they will good ones. So you got to kind of keep an eye on them when you're doing those station things and that. But uh, one story, we had a coach in high school. We used to practice the triple play before a game. It was part of our pregame infield, take, take three. And I'll be darned, but first game of the tournament, we had a triple play. Not the way we practiced it, but we had a triple play. So <laughs> you never know. <laughs> now, guys, we have an opinion question here, and we'll start with Coach Rowling. Has specialized sports helped or hurt the game? Coach Rowling? Okay, that's always an interesting topic for me. You know, I've, I've always stressed at all my awards banquets and everything that, you know, get out for as many sports as you can. Uh, I think specializing hurts all sports, you know, because some kids will specialize in one and some will specialize in another. But my thing has always been, and as a coach, as a player, my favorite sport or, uh, to coach or to play would be the sport in season. You know, so whether it be football, basketball, baseball, so I always stress to the kids that fact. Uh, I've always mentioned the fact sports you participate in, uh, the more athletic you become. And the more you compete, the more competitive you become. And I think that's very important. So I don't like to see the specialization. And just quickly, there was an article by Dr. Andrews, one of the top orthopedics in the, in the country about 10, 8, 10 years ago. And just talking about all the advantages of being a multi-sport athlete. So that's that's been my big push all the way through my career is get out for as many sports as you can. Enjoy different coaches. Enjoy different teammates. You know, rest your body, you know, and things like that. Coach Core has uh, specializing in baseball helped or hurt the game? I don't like specializing because... A lot of kids miss out. I liked it in my high school days. The head football coach, his assistant would be the assistant, the basketball coach. They all wanted you out. But the problem is that not as many kids got to play because some of the same kids got to play all three sports or whatever. And uh, this way, a few more kids playing. But uh, I don't like that specializing. It's um, And a lot of the other coaches didn't like baseball because it was the fun sport to play. And instead of getting beat up in football and have to play year round in basketball. Uh, so I, I had an advantage, or I think we all had an advantage to being baseball coaches, but the kids wanted to be there. We didn't have to try to specialize, but I also found that trying to specialize, if you did, there was somebody standing on the hill up there watching just to see if you were doing something. So, but no, I, I don't like specializing. The kids deserve to start a new season and get a new start on things and play all of them and enjoy, I think, yes. Coach Fayan, same question. <laughs> I say the same thing. Um, you know, I had a kid once that was All-State in football, very, very good basketball player, and the coaches were pushing him to go to these camps and these clinics and uh, basketball was an all-year-round sport a lot of times when I was there. And he was out for baseball, and he said, Coach, he says, I'm so glad I'm out for baseball because I really enjoy this, and it's 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 fun. Like Dick had mentioned, it's a fun game, and I enjoy this, and just to get away from those other sports. And that was, that was just feeling. And, and, you know, 
I know when I was the baseball coach at Clark and I was recruiting, I always looked for the kid that was a, a multi-sport player because you're looking for the good athlete. He, that means he's probably a really good athlete. And, uh, you know, uh, specializing, you're kind of putting all your eggs in that one basket and things don't work out, you know, you, you've missed an awful lot. And I know we, we always fought a lot about going to camps and, cl- and clinics and other sports during the seasons. And my rule was uh, when it's baseball season, you play baseball. When it's basketball season, I'm not going to bother you to go to a baseball camp in the middle of basketball season. And, and by and large, uh, as the years went on at Wallert, uh, all the coaches were very cooperative about that. But, uh, yeah, I don't like the specializing part of it either. Uh, and a good example is the lad out there at Western Dubuque, uh, Calvin Harris, I believe it is. Yep. You know, plays football, basketball, baseball, and he's outstanding in all of them. And he's just an all-around good athlete, you know. So, no, I don't like that. Now, Coach Fan, you're up for our last question during the seventh inning stretch section, which comes from Scott Harris. What are your thoughts on launch angle? Well, I kind of get a kick out of that. Um, I don't know if Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron or anybody thought too much about launch angle back in their day. Um, You know, it's not something new. Ted Williams in his day did talk about swinging slightly up on the ball because that way the plane of the bat, the uh, the bat is in the the same plane as the ball coming in because the ball's coming down a little bit. So he was kind of the first one that I think talked about launch angle, but he, he didn't call it that. He just said swinging up a little bit. I guess I'm just old school. Yogi Bear used to say, I see it and I hit it. And, you know, that's kind of my philosophy. You start thinking too much in there and, you know, this foot's got to go here and this elbow's got to be here. And, uh, you know, launch angle is good because obviously that's what's the big bucks anymore, hitting a home run. So everybody's launch angle and exit velocity and all that. Well, that's good if you're, 200 pounds and fairly strong and that, but if you're a 150-pound high school kid, I wouldn't worry too much about launch angle. I just worry about making contact and a good short stroke and things like that. And, and uh, you know, I I think maybe that's that's too much for me. I Like I said, uh, some of the great hitters probably never thought about that. And, and uh, like I said, Ted Williams was on it a little bit, but uh, – you know, they're talking, well, you want a launch angle 18 degrees and stuff like that. That's that's beyond me. I, I, I just don't see it. But, again, I'm an old school kind of guy. Coach Rowling, your thoughts on launch angle? Okay. Uh, first of all, Ted Williams was the name I was going to bring up, too, like Ed mentioned, that he was the first guy, you know, actually had the slightly uppercut, you know, and everything. Uh I think back when we were playing first coaching, I think a lot of time people stress swing down at the ball. I was never a proponent of that. I was always, you know, swing level at contact, but a swing uh, to the level of the plane of the ball. That way your bat's in the hitting zone longer and making contact. So if the ball's coming down, like Ed said, and the bat's going up slightly, that only makes sense. That's going to give you the the best opportunity to make good contact, you know, and stuff. Again, I think it's, more for home run hitters, you know, with my son involved in college coaching and me uh, getting a chance to help him out, everything, you know, I hear a lot about that. 
and that is, you know, the big thing nowadays, you know, and everything. But I don't know. I think it's just going to be a phase two where it's going to go out here in a few years, and some of the some of the coaches are going to start to you know teach a little bit differently again. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's overhyped myself personally. Uh, we'll have to see. I guess there's more strikeouts as a result of it. I think you know and. You know, at the high school level, you know, put the ball and play hard. You know, that was a big thing. Hit it where it's pitched, hit it hard. You know, make it simple. I'm kind of like, like, yeah, you know, stuff. Sometimes there's just too much too much talk about this. I do remember one kid, at okay, left-handed hitter. This has probably been 25 years ago, and he had a slight uppercut. He was a left-hander. He had the high load with a high front knee kick, you know, and everything. And uh, I didn't really know much about that, but... He was a great hitter. I left him alone. I didn't try to change anything. He was a he was a great hitter, and that was really my first experience where I really saw him. Then when I hear about people talking about it now, that's the person that I think of, you know, and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, 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 I mean, obviously, most kids buy into that type of thing. They all think they're a power hitter at times, you know. But uh, I'm not a huge proponent of it. Coach Corey, your thoughts on launch angle? Well, it goes right back. We had Ted Williams at a clinic in Cedar Rapids in the middle 70s. And it just so happened I happened to be on the crew that was to take care of him. He came from Sears, but he was their outdoorsman. But we had a contact who got him Sears to send him to our clinic. And he did not want to come in any way. He was not a very nice guy, especially with... uh, uh, reporters. He was kind of nasty. And he said, I don't want to be here, gentlemen. I'm going to do what they told me to do. But we took him to dinner that night. He gave his afternoon talks, did a good job. And he talked about somewhat like uh, a launch angle. But that night he said to us, there are 700 baseball coaches out there. I cannot believe it. High school and college baseball coaches. I think I really enjoy this. And I didn't want to be here. I'll guarantee you, I did not want to be here. And he started talking to us. He actually signed a couple of baseballs for guys that he never did. And he said to us, you know, I talked about hitting today. And he has to be arguably the best hitter ever in baseball, batting over 400 in the season. He said, I'm listening to these college coaches talk about a, kind of a chopping swing like you guys were talking about. He said, that's terrible. If you actually chop like they're saying, you'd hit yourself in the, with the bat. He said, they all level back out, and they have a little upward swing to it, just uh, like I was talking about. He said, my philosophy, and I think you'll find most hitters do it, whether they really think about it or not, is they throw their hands at the ball. They get their hands to that level of the ball that is coming in and keep that bat in the zone as long as possible because that's where the – the contact's going to take place, and as they hit the ball, they tend to follow through up. You have to. If not, you're going to hit yourself in the knee or the body. He said it's just a natural thing to do, and uh, we enjoyed him. He sat there for probably three hours that night talking to us as individuals, and it was probably the best thing I ever got out of a clinic, and it was, it was great. We know when we hear Mariano Rivera's music in the background, The podcast is coming to an end, just like the game did when he entered. Stick around for closing time.
all know when you hear Enter Sandman from Mariano Rivera, the great closer from the New York Yankees, that we've hit the final stretch of the podcast, which is our closing time. In tradition, we give all guests a cheesy baseball name, and then they get some time uninterrupted to speak about anything that they would like to about baseball, coaching, life, or anything in general. Again, so it did not look like I was playing favorites, we're going to go in alphabetical order, and we are going to have a coachable moment with Coach Dick Core. Uh, I have been a coach in basically three sports for almost 45 years. Uh, I taught 47 years, and I loved every minute of it. I can count on one hand out of the 10,000 students and athletes I had a chance to interact with. Uh, a handful that I either didn't get along with or just liked. Uh, that's how fortunate I was, and I just – I love kids. Uh, there's always a, there's been always a saying uh, – how many lives you've touched. I'd like to reverse that and say how many of them. I, I still see them. I still enjoy every minute of it. Um, baseball definitely has been a, a great asset in my life. There's been a lot of great experiences, a lot of good relationships, a lot of great families that I still see. There's been several families that have seen this played us with a lot of baseball players. And I'd love to mention them all, but I'm, Certainly miss one. Uh, it's just it's just been a, a very good experience. <clears throat> I certainly didn't do it for the money. That's you understand that part because as an engineer, I'd have made a lot of money in comparison to what I had. But I would not give it up for one minute. I, I really have enjoyed it. I don't feel I've ever had a job. I really do miss a jet at seventy eight. Uh, I would probably go back if I had a chance, but my wife, I disagree. She said, you're going to die in the classroom. That would not be smart. So uh, there's been a lot of great experience. I remember one uh, team, it would happen to be the 78 state championship team that I said was a great group of individuals. There were eight different guys during the year batted in the number four slot. I didn't realize it. It's a parent pointed out mm -hmm. to me, but it just the, they all were that good, and they all got hot at one time or another. We had a great double play combination uh, that the pitchers would say over walking one just so they can get another double play. They have the school record for number of double plays, to my knowledge. I don't know if they're keeping track of that anymore or not, but it, it was kind of a joke. We're putting him on just to see if we can get another double play. And that was a kind of things, how much fun the kids had too, I think, over the years. And that's there's a whole lot of great teams. We had a lot of teams go to state that I haven't had a chance to mention. They were all great players. Um, I'm not sure what else to say other than I, I've really enjoyed it. Nick, I enjoyed you when you played for us, even though you had a little spiked hairdo that <laughs> at the time was just a little different, but I tolerated that. I didn't ask you to cut it, did I, or ask you to put it down. I, I like kids. I found the best in each kid that I could, and I think they also related to me pretty well for this. Give me that respect also because I did, I hope. Thank Coach, you. Coach Cora, thanks yeah, for uh, joining us on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Now we're going to go to Ed Fan, Hall of Fame coach of Dubuque Wallard, and we're going to find a hole with Fan. 
just three quick things. First of all, um, like Dick said, the, the people, the coaches, the players, everybody, the parents that I've been involved with, been very, very enjoyable for 27 years. Uh, I want to especially thank my family, my wife, Kim, my son, Adam, who was bat boy, who played for me and also coached with me uh, in, in, for two or three years. Um, and my daughters, Emily, Margaret, and Maureen. I have to get them all in there, you know. Um, without sounding sappy, for all you kids out there, um, go with your heart, go with your dreams. You don't want to go back, look back 10 years from now and say, gee, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd practiced a little harder. I wish I'd done this better. You know, I wish I'd tried out for this or whatever. When you feel like you want to try something, try it, you know, and, and don't look back and uh, with uh, regrets. And the last thing, this is for all the, the baseball uh, brains out there and the guys that really want to think about the game and the gals, did you realize that baseball is the only sport where when you're on offense, the defense has the ball? Think about that. Nick, that could be a whole new show for you later on. It could. I might reach out <laughs> to you and have you on as a guest again. Uh after this one, I don't think there'll be many curtain calls, but uh, <laughs> just think about, just think about that one once. Coach Fan, thanks for Can joining I us. For a second, go like ahead, I Coach. Mentioned my family either. This is definitely a family business. Uh, it's kind of a joke. My girls had to come over to see it field if they wanted to see me. But I was always coaching something, and I finally got out of basketball because I was actually going to a church meeting one night. And my girls on the way out the door said, "Good luck in your ball game, Dad." That hurt a lot. It's one of my biggest regrets of coaching. I probably spent more time, I did, I spent more time with other people's kids than I did my own. I do regret that. But my family was definitely a supporter, and I relate to Ed real well with that one. And Coach Rowling, we're going to end with you, and we're going to rake with Rowling. I would like to thank you, Nick, for giving me this opportunity and to be able to share in with Dick and Ed in this Zoom session. I would like to thank my wife, Barb, for allowing me to follow my passion, which has been coaching baseball, basketball, and football most of my career. Our children, Nathan, who I was fortunate enough to coach a couple years with, coach for a couple years at uh, Cascade, and then now I'm able to coach with him a little bit at Simpson College as well. And then our three daughters, I'd like to thank them too, Emily, Natalie, and Jessalyn. I've been very blessed to have coached in three towns who love their baseball and at three schools that are very supportive administrators. I also would like to thank all my assistants over the years for their contributions to all the successes we may have had. Player and parent cooperation has been extremely instrumental in this success. Teaching and coaching memories I will cherish forever. Dick, I hope your age, I hope when I'm your age, I can shoot my age in my round of golf as well like you do. Uh, remember, when our life comes to an end and the one great scorer comes to judge, it's not whether you won or lost, but how you played the game. During the Minute with Manaman section, which is part of closing time, I would one last time like to thank Hall of Fame coaches Dick Corr from Dubuque Hempstead, Ed Fayen from Dubuque Wallard, and Jerry Rowling of Holy Cross, Cascade, and Dubuque Wallards.
I was scrolling through inspirational baseball quotes, and I came across this one, and I'm able to tie it back into the podcast. Win the game before it's played. You heard Coach Core, Coach Fan, and Coach Rowling talk about the amount of preparation that they put into their practices and that they put in during games. Take their advice, not only for sports, not only for baseball. Take their advice and put it into life. I think of when I interviewed for my dream job, I was prepared. I did not go in nervous because I was prepared. I answered every question with confidence. I believed in myself. I believed in my abilities. And I believed I was the right man for the job. I got that job. I've been more prepared and won games before I even stepped on the field by work that I put in before I even stepped in that classroom, that interview, or that baseball field. This is one of those episodes where I suggest you listen to it multiple times because there's so much good advice in there, not just about baseball, not just about coaching or playing, but about life. I've listened to it multiple times, and every single time I listen to it, I pull out a new piece of information that I want to try, that I want to add to be a better person, to be a better teacher, to be a better dad, to be a better husband. And just like that, 643, we're out of here. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.